0: Today on Light on the Hill.
1: When I started teaching the Bible 30 years ago, right, we would get thrilled, I mean excited, just thrilled about a piece of news that came out of Jerusalem, you know, once a year, twice a year, right? Now they're coming out 30, 40, 50 times a day. Right? And I know that there are some that will say, don't talk about Jesus' soon return. I know that there are people that, that say, don't talk about Bible prophecy because it gets people distracted or whatever. But I'm telling you right now, Jesus is coming soon. Let me say it again. Jesus is coming soon. And unless we program that in our minds and our hearts, the way that we live our lives is going to be broken. It's not going to be effective. I have found- That peace only comes from you, I have found that joy only comes from you, cause all I need is
0: The future of Israel and the Jews is detailed for us in the Bible. It would be a good idea for us to know what it says will come of them. Knowing this changes absolutely everything and could even change your life. Today on Light on the Hill, we'll take you to Zechariah chapter 13 and see God has something spectacular in store for the Jewish people.
1: Just for the record, um I really wanted to bring Zechariah chapter 11 and 12 and 13 together, but I felt the need to separate them so that I could give it the time that it deserved. And if I were to bundle two chapters together, I would have bundled 13 and 14. But again, this would be a two hour study if that was the case. And so um, I just felt the need to separate them, which is why this will be somewhat of a shorter study, but it, it gives us the foundation that we need. And what I am trying to do, if you guys have not captured it yet is I'm trying to establish the foundation of your knowledge of the Old Testament because the more of the Old Testament you are familiar with and aware of, the more familiar you will become with uh, so much of what is prophetically spoken of in the New Testament. I remember having a um, a teacher Uh, he was undoubtedly one of the hardest teachers i ever had in bible college Uh, besides my greek teacher he was definitely hands down the most difficult Uh, i signed up for a basic greek class and by the time we ended with that greek class we were already doing greek exegesis it was probably some of the hardest work i've ever done in any class but i'm so thankful Uh, that I was able uh, to do that because I was uh, relatively proficient in the Greek language, probably within about a year of that time. uh, And it helped me in, uh, in a lot of ways, especially in some of the projects that I had taken on a little bit later. But I would have to say that the second hardest teacher I have ever had in the Bible college was one who had some very strict demands. And his requirements oftentimes felt like they were unrealistic and he sort of worked on the honor system, right? So when you showed up to class the next week, you had to tell him whether or not you did it. And um, his statement was, if you say yes and you didn't, then God's going to greatly judge you. So uh, that's fine, I'll believe you. If you lied, uh, you know, God will deal with you. If you didn't, well, then you'll be greatly blessed. And there were two classes that really bothered me the way he ran them and made absolutely zero sense. Like zero. I don't know why he did it, yet I deployed the same tactics when I taught them in the Bible college many years later. The first class, and I never understood why he did this, was the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, he actually required that we read through the Old Testament three times a week. And, uh, and when I say read through the Old Testament, literally almost all of it with the exception of a couple of books, and I never understood it at the time. Now I am extremely grateful that he made us do that because it gave us a very in-depth familiarity with everything that needed to sort of follow before the book of Isaiah and after, and it really taught us beyond anything I could have imagined. By the time I walked out of that Uh, I want to say it was a... uh, Oh, I think that was a longer semester class. It was like a 20-week class. Those of us who stuck to that rule... Came out of that class very, very, very knowledgeable. It's interesting because the final that he did in that class was basically the type of final that if you had done the homework that he had asked you to do throughout each week, then you would have skated through the final. If you kept saying, Yeah, I did it, yeah, I did it, and you didn't do any of it, you'd have got your rear kicked because the final required you to uh, provide a chronological history of the nation of Israel based on the reading you were doing in the the Old Testament and there's no way you would have known it had you not done it that way and kind of reminds me of a moment of time in law school I think when it was in my contracts class My law professor basically told me he was the first one that I had. He told us all, he said, hey, listen, here's the deal. Some of you are a bunch of hot shots. You think you're going to be able to skate through your first final exam, but you're going to get your rears kicked if you don't memorize all of these words. Because all of these words and legal terms, you're going to need them to build upon your understanding of the rest of the foundation. And so um, many of us who thought we could get past that, me included, uh, thought that we could kind of skate through it. And the first quiz that we had, we all failed miserably. And when I say miserably, like so miserably that we sort of had a cows eat the cabbage kind of a moment, realizing that four weeks into the first class, we were going to fail that class had we not decided to just put our heads to the grind and just go, right? And that was in the midst of a lot of other things, kind of difficult. I realized there's certain things you just have have to eat right you just have to go for it and do it otherwise you're not going to do well now with that same thing the book of revelation was another uh class that i took where the requirements were extraordinarily stringent they were very very difficult and the requirements involved doing a lot of things that by the way i I, I will just say this there were a couple of students that complained to the dean of the college at that time and we don't know if it's true or not we don't really know but apparently the dean may have stepped in with my professor and told my professor to lay off on the workload. Now, I don't know if that's true. My professor never told me. I became very good friends with him, close friends. He was a very dear friend of mine before he went to go be with the Lord, and he never did tell me the truth about what happened in that moment. But one of the requirements for the book of Revelation was, again, very similar to that of Isaiah, and that was To know literally all of the prophetic books. We needed to read them. I think at this point it was something like three or four times a week as well. So that was all the minor prophets, all the major prophets, the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the pre-exilic books and the post-exilic books, right? Whether or not they were prophetic in nature. And so we found ourselves reading thousands of pages every single week. And many of us were, I mean, literally it was just rough. It was just sort of a rough period in our education. It was kind of a tough time. And the reality of it was the teacher that I had who taught me through those classes and several others was an extraordinarily spirit-filled man, probably one of the best Bible teachers, a prophecy, Bible prophecy teachers, that had ever lived, in my opinion, right? And basically knew that if we were gonna have any understanding of the scriptures, that it needed to be ingrained within our minds and our hearts. And he was particularly harder on me. He actually took me to town a lot more than any of the other students, because as he told me one time, he said, look, I recognize the propensity in you to take shortcuts because you're smarter than any of the students in my class. And he used to tell me this all the time. He says, you're even smarter than me to a degree. But the problem is you don't have the discipline necessary to be able to do anything reasonable with that kind of smarts. And so if I don't ride you like I'm doing right now, you're never going to do anything with this education you're going to have. As a matter of fact, you're going to eat dirt and you're going to end up becoming one of the casualties that so many have become. And, And I man, I was so bothered when he told me that. But I look back on it now and I think, man, God gave that guy a word for me, right? Like God spoke to that man and gave him a word, a true word. And if any of you knew who Jack Stevens was, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Cyprus, you would know the kind of guy that he was. You would know the kind of Bible teacher he was. He was, in my opinion, one of the most remarkably gifted Bible teachers that existed in this area. And he was the by far, by far, one of the best Bible college professors I ever had. He was hard on me. He was very difficult. When he went to go be with the Lord, it was probably one of the worst days of my life. It was sad to see him go uh, because I really felt like that day we lost somebody who was an asset, right? Now, all of that to say... If you are going to understand the book of Revelation and you're going to get to know it well, then it's important that you understand these books that we're going over in the Bible, right? There's a reason why I'm spending a lot of time going through the minor prophets and the major prophets exhaustively because when your knowledge of these books become established, then your understanding of the book of Revelation actually becomes second nature. It's actually very easy. And it's interesting because all of the fact foundation that my teachers gave me before getting into the book of Revelation made it remarkably easy when we got to Revelation and we started studying it. And then when I started teaching it as a pastor and I began to go through all of these books, it was very easy for me to be able to teach because my knowledge of those scriptures became secondhand and the connections that I was making were very easy to make because here's the scoop with the book of Revelation. And there's a reason why I'm going. Into this, right? The book of Revelation is exactly what it says it is. It is a book that reveals all of the things that have been established in the Old Testament and brings into fruition what the Bible has already said would come right? So when you read the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is John in essence having a vision of all of the things that would come to pass that the prophets and the law of the prophets and everything combined in it says would actually happen. Now, It's interesting because I remember the very first time I was told to start reading through the prophets on a regular basis. I thought, oh, this is going to be easy, right? All I've got to do is read through the major prophets, read through the minor prophets. It's not a lot of people. I mean, you know, we're probably talking about two-thirds of the of the Old Testament, maybe a little bit less than that. That's not that big of a deal until he began to explain who some of the prophets actually were in the Bible. He talked about Moses being one of the prophets, right? He talked about, of course, uh, the fact that David was very much a prophetic man. He spoke prophetically on a whole lot of levels, and he did. If you don't uh, believe that, you can go through a lot of the Psalms, which give us great prophetic utterance concerning things that Jesus was the fulfillment of. Of, right? And there were many others that you would not conventionally think of as prophets who exercised the gift of prophecy in ways that were uniquely remarkable to the narrative given to us in the current time in which we live. Now, this becomes very valuable to me because in the time when I was in Bible college, when we're talking about the mid nineties, I graduated from high school in 1993 or four, I don't remember 94. I think I graduated from Bible college with my bachelor's degree in 96, because I was taking 30 some odd units a semester. I mean, I was like hitting it really hard. And the one thing that my professor told us is he said, your generation, pointing to me, he said, your generation is going to see so much of the stuff that the Bible is talking about begin to come into fruition. And initially when he told us this, I'm like, well, yeah, I just don't know how that's going to happen. That just doesn't make any kind of sense, right? And up until about 10 years ago, we were communicating that same message. Look, this stuff's going to happen. It's any point, it's any day. And now the kind of stuff that's going on is unbelievable. When I started teaching the Bible 30 years ago, right, we would get thrilled. I mean, excited. I would have hour-long conversations with guys like Jack, just thrilled about a piece of news that came out of Jerusalem, you know, once a year, twice a year, right? Now they're coming out 30, 40, 50 times a day, right? We're seeing it. We're watching so many things. If you've not been following the stories with with Ben Gavir and some of the things that are happening right now on the Temple Mount, guys, it should blow your mind. It should make your eyes open to be aware of the things that are going on. We are seeing the fulfillment of Bible prophecy come to life. And I know that there are some that will say, don't talk about Jesus's soon return. I know that there are people that that say, don't talk about Bible prophecy because it gets people distracted or whatever. But I'm telling you right now, Jesus is coming soon. Let me say it again. Jesus is coming soon. And unless we program that in our minds and our hearts the way that we live our lives is going to be broken it's not going to be effective it's going to have uh dots and and dashes in the middle of it right when in reality god wants us to be aware of all of these things to act based on the things that we know and have learned and to understand walk with the understanding of the changes that are around the corner which is why i love books like Zechariah. It's why I love chapters like the one that we're going to go through today. Now, I want to start with the end of chapter 12, because I think that when we get to a book like Zechariah, I think it is very, very, very important, very important to bring the context into play. And so if you want to bring the context into play for what we jump into in Zechariah chapter 13, we have to start at verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 12, because when you read verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 12, this is what it says. It says, "And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and what, and they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is bitter in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, this is very important because we're going to tie this into verse 8 of this chapter eventually, but I want you to understand that the picture that's being created for us is that there will come a time when the Jewish people will look upon the Messiah that they rejected for so many years, for generations after generations after generations, and they are going to see exactly what that looks like. They're going to see exactly what that entails. They're going to realize that their rejection of this Messiah was one that was so insanely wrong that they are going to mourn and cry. They're going to realize that what they did was completely souring. What they did hurt them. What they did affected them. And more importantly than that, they're going to mourn and cry because they're going to realize who Jesus is to them and recognize the tragedy, the national tragedy that comes as a result of their rejection of the Messiah. By the way, it's very interesting. And I think that it is appropriate to bring this out. When the Lord established his relationship with the nation of Israel, and this is something worth bringing uh, to everybody's attention. When the Lord established the relationship with the nation of Israel, you need to understand that the purpose behind the establishment of the nation of Israel wasn't simply just so that they can have the kind of relationship that he talked about in that covenant, right? That is certainly a very important variable but perhaps one of the most significant variables associated with the establishment of the nation of Israel centered around a very important piece, and that was your relationship with me, Israel, will serve as a model to the nations for what I want for them. When people look upon you and they see the relationship that I have with you, it will serve as a model for how it should be between me and all the rest of the nations of the world. So there is a a train of thought that says that the United States is sort of a spiritual Israel. There could not be anything more false. That is completely wicked, right? Israel is Israel, and God is dealing with Israel in a very uh, uh, matter-of-fact way. He's dealing with them in a very specific way. But the United States of America can learn a lot from what they have seen in Israel. Israel and the history of the jewish people as a matter of fact the whole world can do so understand this folks if i were to place an order behind the most highly persecuted group of people that has ever existed in this world number one has to be the jews without a shadow of a doubt number two christians so a lot of people will think based on the lies and the propaganda being told well it's black people and then it's this no the number one persecuted group of people in the history of the world's existence are the jews after that christians and i want you to understand something that is not done coincidentally That is something that is satanically inspired because the devil hates God's ancestrally chosen people and has always wanted it to be difficult for them because he never wanted the rest of the world, the Gentiles, let's just say in in other terms, to have the perfect model of what it should be like for a nation to have a relationship with God. So he has tried to break them and destroy them. And of course, he has been very successful in doing so. Very, very good in doing so. So look what it says in verse 11 of chapter 12. It says, in that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad in the valley of Megiddon. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart and family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. In the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, and the family of Shimei and their wives apart, and all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart, they're going to be mourning. They're going to be mourning when they realize what happened. There's, there's going to come a point in time where there's going to be a reckoning with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is going to realize whom they rejected. And there is something amazing that is going to come as a result of that, right? God is going to redeem the nation of Israel. God is going to bring them back into his fold. And God is going to bless them. And God is going to do something that is beyond our capacity to be able to comprehend or understand. And that is very important for us to know now as i've said before if you are going to understand the book of revelation there is no way in the world you can do that without a solid understanding of the book of zechariah there's no way because so much of what the writings of the book of revelation establish is in essence a revealing of that which is prophesied in 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 the book of zechariah and folks let me just simply say this right now we are seeing a manifestation of it We are. We are watching it take place. As you know, one of my dear friends, a man, by the way, who I have come to love and respect on a whole lot of levels. He's a very, very sweet man and somebody that I have developed a deep-rooted love for. Dr. Hillel Newman, he is the Consul General of Israel. Oftentimes when I'm with him in a group setting and he's addressing anybody, Uh, relating the situation in Israel... He talks about the book of Zechariah prophesying about a time when the children will run through the streets of Jerusalem in complete peace and that he says that that time is now, that we're watching it now. We're watching so many of uh, Jewish children walking freely amongst the streets and it's a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. And I oftentimes like to tell him, you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) What you think is a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy hasn't happened yet. And as blessed as you think the Jews are to experience the restorative hand of god and to see the nation come back together and all of the things that we celebrate on a regular basis you have not seen the blessing of god upon you and your people yet what you say is a blessing from god right now isn't even scratching the surface of what god has in store for you and your people god has something spectacular in store for the jewish people And he talks about it so clearly. The Bible talks about it so clearly.
0: Pastor James Cadiz on Light on the Hill will be right back. Our present series is a study in the Minor Prophets. If you missed any part of it, log on to lightonthehillradio.com and click on Radio Show or listen through our Light on the Hill app. To find the app in the search bar, just type in Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. God is our wonderful provider here at Light on the Hill, and we continually look to Him for guidance and provision. If you'd like to stand with us through either a one-time donation or ongoing support, please visit LightOnTheHillRadio.com or give through our Light on the Hill app. There is a lot going on right now in the prophetic realm, and we want to keep you informed. Pastor James releases daily videos at jamescadiz.com addressing the issues of the day from a biblical perspective. Visit jamescadiz.com for more. Again, we're in Zechariah chapter 13 today. Here's Pastor James with the first verse. Look at what it
1: says in verse 1 of chapter 13. And it says, in that day, what day are we talking about? That time when Jesus uh, effectively is restored to the hearts of the Israelites, right? Right. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. In other words, there is going to be a place of restoration that is going to happen. There's going to be a time when God is going to redeem Yerushalayim. There's going to be a time when God is going to bring the eternal capital of Israel to a place of reconciliation with the heart of the Messiah. And yes, he was the Messiah that was rejected. Yes, he's the Messiah that so many still reject now. Yet at the same time, when it all comes into fruition, they're going to recognize it, and God is going to extend his hand of grace. And he says there's going to come a point in time where all of that happens. By the way, it is very interesting, and I should probably point this out to you in Israel, I have had many, many, many conversations with religious leaders, with people who are rabbis, with people who are considered to be biblical experts in Israel, many of whom don't even speak any English, right? And so many times when I bring up passages like Isaiah 53, they not only act like they are not familiar with that passage, Begin to see an expression of anger and vitriol like you've never seen before.
0: We'll continue in this chapter of Zechariah tomorrow on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz, a presentation of Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. I have found that peace only comes
1: from you. I have found. that joy only comes from you, cause all I need is